love the fact that at Globe Church, there are people who would say, I've been a Christian for a long time. And there's people who say, I don't know what I believe, but I'm trying to work it out. And wherever you are on that spectrum, you are so welcome. And I hope that this afternoon might help you just to think a little more. And what we're going to do for the next um, today and then for the next two Sundays is we're going to answer a, a pretty big question. And the question is this. Why do you believe the things that you believe? So everybody in this room believes some stuff. Right? In fact, if you want to, you don't have to play this with me, but if you want to imagine you've got a box, if it helps you to pick it up, then feel free. <laughs> don't do that. You, you've got a box. Everyone, imagine you've got a box. And in that box are your beliefs. The things that really you're certain about. And that, that box is pretty important to you. In fact, it shapes everything you do with your life. Because in that box, there are your values. The things that you think really matter. So every time you spend some money you are expressing your beliefs, what you believe about the world and what you believe about what has value. In that box is also your morality. So every time you think, oh, no, I shouldn't do that, that would be wrong, that is based on your beliefs. That is something that is in your box. Every time you think about yourself, who you are, your identity... That's based on what is in the box. And every time you look up into the sky and you wonder if there's anything out there, if there's anything beyond, is there anything else? Your reality is in the box. It's fascinating. This box is really important. In fact, I would argue that that box contains some of the most precious things you own. What you believe. But what's in your box? And how did it get there? That's quite important. Now, the interesting thing you see is that none of us start life with an empty box. We start with a box that's preloaded. We breathe stuff in. We are taught stuff since we were children. Our upbringing, our culture, our background, all of this stuff fills our box. And so... Most of us instinctively know sort of that's right and that's wrong. This matters and this doesn't. And if you like, your default is the stuff that you don't find it hard to believe. That is, what what is it easy for you to believe? That's your default. That's kind of what's in the box. And all of us come with different stuff. Now, the reason I'm raising this is because it's important, I think, for us at some point in our lives to say, I wonder if what's in my box is actually right. I wonder if what's in my box is true. Now, some people um, will say, well, of course, I'm only going to believe things that there is evidence and reason for. Okay, these tend to be the fairly... Uh, no, I won't say that. Um, yes, like my wife. No, um, these tend to be the, the people who are very black and white about things and who say, no, I need to see it and have evidence for it and then I will believe it. 
Now, I hate to break it to those people. It's impossible. But those people often will say, yes, but you Christians, what, you just put stuff in your box by faith. You have no evidence for it. So there's evidence and there's faith. There's reason and there's faith. Now, stick with this for a second. I want to argue that actually everybody's box is made up of stuff that is based on reason and faith. Whether you are someone who believes in God or doesn't believe in God, it's still to do... Okay, let me give you an example. You say, no, no, that's not true. Yes, it is. Listen, okay. Supposing... Okay, so here comes... Um, let's take Richard Dawkins. He's been mentioned. He is an atheist. He does not believe in God. He starts from this premise that all that exists is matter and energy. He is a materialist. The only thing that exists is what can be seen and observed, the observable physical universe. That's it. And then he says, now, everything I believe is going to be based on what I can observe, on my reason, my understanding. Here's the problem. His fundamental view can't be proved. It is unprovable that all that exists is matter and energy. That is a position you have to accept by faith. And so you accept that position by faith and you say, okay, I accept that by faith. Now I'm going to base everything on... You see? We all have to make faith leaps. We all have to believe stuff. We all have to decide what is true and what isn't. And when, whether your fundamental worldview is there is no God or your fundamental worldview is there is a God... Those are both faith positions. Now, we're going to talk today about how you can be certain about stuff. So I want you to look, if you've got Luke's gospel open in front of you, it's very interesting how Luke starts his gospel. I'm just going to read the first four verses. This is all we're going to focus on uh, today. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Right, if you were going to write a book, what would your first paragraph be? It would be quite important, your first paragraph. You'd want to spell out what you were doing. You'd want to spell out why it matters. That's what Luke does. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Uh, he's talking about the, the story of Jesus. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Well, I want you to notice three words in Luke's opening paragraph that I don't think most people imagine are in the Bible. He talks about eyewitnesses, he talks about carefully investigated, and he talks about certainty. I don't think most people understand that the Bible talks in those categories. Not in the categories of fairy stories, superstition, and make-believe. There aren't many weeks that go by when I don't see something on some Twitterati Twitter nonsense that says something like, the Bible's all fairy stories, it's all made up, everything's nonsense, blah, 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 there's no evidence for this. There's... Look, that's not what the Bible is. 
Now, at this point, I'm not asking you to believe it's true. I'm just asking you to understand that when Luke wrote his gospel, he was not messing around. He wasn't saying, I'm going to write a letter to my little friend Theophilus. I've got a little story for you. He said he was utterly convinced that this was true. On the basis of eyewitness accounts, careful investigation that led to certainty. Now, this matters because it means that when we talk about God and when we talk about the Bible and when we talk about Jesus, we don't let go of certainty. We don't let go of evidence and reason. Those things matter. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to um, think about two things about this idea of certainty. Um, Firstly, we're going to talk about um, the nature of certainty. And then we're going to talk about the urgency of certainty, but we'll get to that. Look, let's, let's imagine for a second that we're on a, an island. Um, and it's, we've been here all our lives. We were all born here. We've never left the island. And one day, someone turns up with an aeroplane. We've never seen an aeroplane. So in our box, we're very, very clear that human beings don't fly. That's clear, right? Human beings stay on the earth. That's where they're supposed to be. Here comes an aeroplane, and the aeroplane says, I can make you fly. Now, would you be skeptical of the claim? Yes. Is skepticism in that situation a good thing? Yes. Skepticism is great. Yesterday, someone phoned me and told me that someone in America had stolen my identity and was using it to commit massive fraud across the United States. And they just needed me to get on my computer and enter my passwords, and they'd be able to sort it all out. (laughs) At which point I said, terrific, thank you so much for phoning. I don't know what I'd have done without you. Here's my passwords. I'll tell you my bank statement as well. I'll tell you all my codes. You can have everything. Skepticism is really important. I don't want to raise kids who aren't skeptical. So skepticism matters. And when you see that aeroplane, you want skepticism. But here's the thing, right? You don't want to stay in skepticism and miss out on something good. So how do you make progress from skepticism to certainty? Of course, that's the nature of of certainty that I wanted to talk about for a second. When Luke talks about certainty, what is he talking about? Now, here's the problem. I think most of us have quite a, um, a black and white view of certainty, kind of true or false. But of course, you know that's not actually the way certainty works. It's a spectrum that runs from skeptical through to certain. Right? That's, that's just the way things work. It's not a, I don't believe it. Now I do, completely. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a spectrum of belief. And so here I am. I start off skeptical. Here's the plane. What sort of questions might I start asking? I start asking some questions to find out. I might say, what is that? And they might say, and, and uh, how does it work? And they explain it to me, da, 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 da. And I may be an aero person, <laughs> engineer. 
aerodynamic, aero, doesn't matter. I know what it is, right? On the island, and I may have an amazing ability to understand that this aeroplane can fly. And I'm moving now, as the question's answered, I'm moving from skepticism towards certainty. Okay, maybe that makes sense. And that goes, anyone else ever flown in this thing? And I hear some stories about other people who've flown. I move a little bit more from skepticism to certainty. Right, here's the thing. At some point on this scale, and this is going to be really important for, for our for us this time, right? At some point on that scale, from skepticism to belief, there is a tipping point. Right? There is a point at which I go, okay, that's a very important point. That is not the point when I have hit absolute certainty, is it? I would never have gotten an aeroplane in my entire life if I had to be absolutely certain the thing would fly. Every time I get in an aeroplane, I'm about 50-50. Right? It's stressful. I, genuinely, I find it very stressful. But I'm sort of, but I'm past the tipping point, right? And that's just the way, kind of, that's the nature of certainty. That's how it works. In most things in life, we start skeptical and then we get evidence and then we get to a point where we go, tipping point, okay. The trouble is we think of proof and evidence far too much in the scientific realm where, you might, where I might say to you, water boils at 100 degrees and you go, prove it. And I go, okay. And I get a thing and a thing and a thermometer and I go, boom, there you go. And you go, oh yes, you're right. But the trouble is, there are some things that you can't do that for. And therefore you have to have a different way of thinking about certainty. A different way of moving along this spectrum. So for example, supposing I said to you, I once flew in a hot air balloon. How are you going to decide whether that's true or not? There's no way of you to empirically kind of examine me and uh, discover whether I've ever been in a hot air balloon. And you may be very skeptical. And you may question me. And now we're in a different realm, okay? Now we're much more in a law court type proof than a scientific type proof. And in a law court, it works very differently. In a law court, you can't go back and see the thing that happened. And so a case has to be brought. Evidence has to be brought. And that shifts you along the line. And every piece of evidence that is brought moves you slightly further towards the tipping point. And not one of those bits of evidence on its own might be enough to convince you. But together, they make a case. That when you sit down as a jury and you sent out and you sit down, you say, I'm beyond reasonable doubt. That's how we say it. I'm beyond the tipping point. Okay, let's, let's, let's do this then. Um, suppose someone says to you, there's no proof of the existence of God. What do you say? You see, the trouble is we immediately think of a scientific way. We immediately think, ah, there's no proof. I can't show him. I can't point to him. I can't do anything. Yes, that's because we're thinking scientifically. Try and think of it in a law court type way. 
Let me build a case. Let me show you the clues. And not one of these clues on their own is enough to convince you that there's a God, but man, put together, they're quite strong. Let me just, let's have a go. The world has an appearance of design. Right? Things look like they're designed. I look at my hands and I go, man, that's clever. That's better than most things that engineers can make. It's incredibly well designed. The positioning of the earth from the sun, all of this sort of stuff. There's an appearance of design. Okay, what if there's an appearance of design? What, what, is, it, is it crazy to say that it looks like it's been designed because it has been designed? Is that an irrational step? Is it irrational to say that the appearance of design perhaps points us towards a designer? Now, you'd say, yeah, yeah, but Richard Dawkins has written this book, great book called The Blind Watchmaker, how he, how he explains through a process of mutations and all the rest of it how design has come about. Fine. I'm not saying it proves it, but I'm saying it builds a case. What, okay, let's keep going then. What about morality, the fact that we care about right and wrong? Why do we do that? Why do we care? Why do we care when something goes wrong? Why don't we just um, love the strong and kill the weak? Why wouldn't we do that? Why is it that most societies have decided that's a wrong thing to do? Why? Could it be because we're created by a God who cares about right and wrong? You might say, no, no, it's just the evolutionary advantage. There's an evolutionary advantage to us not killing one another and being kind to each other and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, fine, doesn't prove it. But it's completely consistent. Design, morality, they're completely consistent with what I'd expect to see in a world that was created by God. Okay, we're not going to do this all night, but I could do, but I'm not going to do it all night. Here's another one. I love this one. Try this tomorrow. Go to your friends and say, what do you think's wrong with the world? I guarantee you, you will not find one of your friends who says, wrong, there's nothing wrong with the world. Because that's weird. Because if the world is just an accident, and if there is no great meaning, why do we think there's something wrong with that? You see, what if the reason that we look at the world and it feels wrong, and if we look at what happened in Christchurch and we think that feels wrong, and we look at death and we say it feels wrong, and we look at sickness and suffering and it feels wrong, what if the reason it feels wrong is because it is wrong, because that's never the way it was meant to be? Do you not see? It doesn't prove the existence of God. It pushes you along the line. It's another, another clue to God's existence. It's exactly consistent with what I would expect to see in a world that's been made by God, but that a world that has turned its back on God and now lives under God's punishment. It fits exactly what I would expect to see. We build a case, right? None of these things on their own prove it. But the nature of certainty is about looking at the evidence and then making a conclusion. And sometimes we make wrong conclusions. The other day, my mum and dad went to the cinema. And they went to a posh cinema where they have reclining seats. Nice. Classy. And uh, 
They sat down and were very excited about their reclining seats. Dad leant back. But my mum was pressing the buttons and it wouldn't work. She was a bit miffed about this because she was really, really excited about the reclining chairs. But she pressed the buttons and it didn't work. And so she leant over to my dad and said, it's not working. Broken. So she sat there and grumped. And at various points through the, through the um, film, she fiddled it to try and make it work. Until the bloke next to her said, um, could you stop moving my chair up and down? <laughs> you see, this is classic my mum, right? Now look, the, the point is, the evidence was there. The evidence was, I'm pressing the button, nothing's happening. That's the evidence. That's the factual thing that was happening. She made a conclusion that was, therefore my chair is broken. She was wrong. The evidence actually should have led her to go, perhaps I'm pressing the bloke next door's button and he's flopping up and down like this, (laughs) trying to watch a film. And we've got to be very careful when we listen to people talk about science as if science leads you to the obvious conclusion that there's no God. Science tells you what you can see. It tells you how things work. It tells you how it came. It tells you all sorts of stuff about the world and we can understand that. It's terrific and I love it and I studied science too and we can delve into it. But you then have to make a jump that says, and on the basis of that, there is no God or there is a God. If I'm being charitable, I think those two views are at least equally valid on the basis of looking at our physical world. I mean, to be honest, I think it's obvious there's a God, but let's be charitable, right? I think it's equally possible that there is a God or there isn't, based on what we can see. Now, the reason this is important to me is because I spent a lot of my life, when I was studying chemistry, being told I was stupid because I believed in God. And this is my chance to defend myself and say, this is not stupid, it's not irrational to believe in God. In fact, the guy who taught me chemistry once said, the reason you believe in God is because your brain is starved of oxygen. Nice chap. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he, um, so I'm defending myself from those years of accusations of being stupid by saying, the world looks designed, perhaps it's got a designer. The world looks broken, perhaps it is broken. The world looks like there's morality, perhaps it's because there is and saying those are not illogical statements. The nature of certainty. But of course, Luke is writing about something different. And as Luke writes his gospel, he's writing not just to say there's a God who made the world, and there's a brokenness and and a fallenness to our world. Luke's writing about something else. And Luke's writing about something in history. And Luke writes his account to tell us about Jesus. And Jesus is the game changer. Jesus is the moment at which you say, how do I know if there's a God or not a God? How do I get certain? Well, Jesus is the key to that. Because Luke is going to write this book and he is going to claim that Jesus is God come to earth. That Jesus is God come to show us what God is like. He's going to write his book to say, here is the evidence. 
the eyewitness evidence to show you that Jesus is God. To show you that Jesus performed amazing miracles, great signs. And he wrote this down so that we may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. And so really our job is not to close our eyes, cross our fingers and believe in the Easter Bunny and say, let's hope it'll all be okay. Our job is to look at the evidence and work out if it's true. Just like we do with all evidence. And so you read through Luke's gospel and you ask the question, is this true? Is there evidence here that is worth basing my life on? And as you read through the pages of Luke, you discover the most extraordinary man who's ever lived. He is mind-blowing. Our world was transformed by him. And you may think Jesus is some fairy tale and it's not all true. Can I just give you a few bits of evidence to build a little bit of a case? Don't you think it's weird that some Nazareth carpenter who died at the age of 33, never wrote a book, turned our world upside down? Don't you find that weird? even to the extent that we date our whole calendar around him. That's weird. What's that about? Don't you find it weird that this tiny little place, Nazareth and Galilee, nothing ever happens there. And this tiny little nation, from there, it's spread out across the whole globe. It's got to make you ask questions, isn't it? Don't you find it weird that it's based on the most unlikely claim that Jesus rose from the dead? That's a bit of a spoiler. Sorry if you're ever going to read Luke. I apologize. That's how it ends. Jesus rises from the dead. And Luke has checked out the eyewitnesses and Luke, an intelligent man, is absolutely convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Do you know what? I think we need to get a little bit more confidence in the evidence that we have. This isn't rubbish. We have rock-solid evidence that we can build our lives on. Now, you need to read it for yourself. You need to check it out. And I think putting together the arguments for the existence of God and the arguments for Jesus Christ leads you to this stunning certainty that says the God who made the world came into the world so that we could know him. Now I get it. Some of us will be very skeptical of that. But as you look at it, there will come a point, the tipping point, at which you need to say, okay, yes. I'm not into, I don't know everything. I'm not 100% sure, but I know enough. Can I tell you something? I'm not 100% sure. I haven't reached 100% absolute sure. There's still days when I wonder, oh man, I don't know, I don't know. But I tell you this, the more I read, the more I look, the more I move, and the more confidence I get. And so if you're struggling, perhaps you'd say you are a Christian and you're struggling to really believe this is true, can I encourage you, don't give up. 
that's okay, that's really normal. These are big things. They're challenging what's in our box. They're challenging our beliefs, our natural beliefs. They're challenging us and they're pushing us along. That's okay. Keep looking. Keep working. And at some point you say, I'm going to get on the plane. I'm going to get on the plane. But I do just want to finish with this. And that is that there is an urgency of certainty. Take the plane illustration. Things would change if we were on an island and the island was on fire and we were in great danger. Suddenly, it would change how you think about certainty, wouldn't it? You can't stand there for three weeks and work out all the aerodynamics of how this plane flies. There's an urgency to get on the plane. You're still going to be skeptical. You still might go, oh, is it going to work? Is it going to fly? Yes, it's going to fly. Get on. And according to Luke, there is an urgency that we understand what Jesus came to do. It isn't something that we can just go, oh, well, whatever. I'll get around to that at some point. There is an urgency to looking at the evidence and making a decision. Luke sums it up later on in his gospel. Um, you can flick over if you want to chapter 19, verse 10. Luke sums up his message. Luke 19, verse 10. Where Jesus says, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. You see, the reason Jesus came is because we're in trouble. Because yes, there is a creator God and our world is fallen and broken because we've turned away from him. That's why our world is full of pain and struggle and hurt and anguish. Because we live in a world that is spoiled and broken, a world that's under God's anger. We are in trouble. You only have to look around our world to see that and there is an urgency. The reason Jesus came was not just so that we could have an intellectual conversation about the existence of God. The reason Jesus came was not so that we could just go, oh, that's nice. The reason and Jesus came is because we need saving. Because we're in a mess. Because we're screwing things up. Because our world is going haywire. Because we're cut off from him, the God who made us. And Jesus came to bring us back to him. Jesus came so that we could know the God who made us. And Jesus, at this very point, when he said these words, is heading to a cross where he's going to die. This is why Christians love the cross. This is why we sing of the cross, because Jesus died on a cross in order that, not just so that you could know about God, so you could know God, so that you could be saved. And so Luke writes his gospel not to say this is just so that you can know the certainty, just so that out of interest. It's so that you can know the certainty of being saved, of knowing the God who made you. It matters. It matters what we make of Jesus. So let's wrap all this up. We believe stuff on the basis of evidence. But evidence demands that at some point we take a risk, a jump, to say, okay. Evidence pushes us along the line from, from skepticism to certainty. It pushes us along the line, and at some point we've got to say yes. 
And there's an urgency to do this. And so if you're still someone who's sitting here saying, I'm skeptical about all this stuff, I'd say, check it out. Read it for yourself. If you haven't got a Bible, take the one you're holding. Take it home with you. Read Luke's Gospel. Ask more about this. Find out more about this man, Jesus. Whatever you do, don't write him off as a fairy story. Silly old Christians. This is real. Luke was serious. This is how we can know God. So if you're skeptical, read it. Check it out. But it may be you've been coming along for a while and you, you sort of think, actually, I think this probably is true, but I'm not entirely sure. Well, get on the plane then. At some point, you need to say, yes, okay, I know enough. And if you're on the plane and you're struggling to believe this is true, well, keep going back to this. It's right to pursue certainty. And as we look at the evidence, it drives us further and further away from skepticism to certainty. Keep looking, keep reading, keep understanding, keep asking God to help you. Actually, there is no greater truth in all the world based on the evidence that we see in creation around us, the evidence we see in the life of Jesus, that this is how you know God. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask that God would help us um, to find certainty in a world of uncertainty. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, many of us in this room can identify with that sense of uncertainty, that sense of doubt, skepticism. And Father, we thank you that you've given us evidence that we can believe. Thank you for the evidence that we can see in this world around us of creation. Thank you for the evidence you've given us in Jesus, who came into this world so that we could know you. Thank you for Luke's gospel that was carefully researched. The eyewitnesses who saw what was done that we can now believe. Father, we ask that you'd help us to have a certainty that Jesus is the way we can know you. And we ask we'd find great joy in that certainty. In Jesus' name. Amen.